every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun. Light speed to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired. I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's, it's not just in me. It is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to Notably Disney your ultimate podcast covering Disney music and books. I'm Brett Knackman, your host. Here we dig a little deeper and explore the great wide somewhere about everything under the Walt Disney Company umbrella as it pertains to tunes and writing, from the theme parks and television screens to the Broadway stage and the silver screen, if it relates to anything Disney songs, soundtracks, books, articles, or other things that you can listen to, or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. During the month of August 2019 here on Notably Disney, we are featuring a new episode every Tuesday, and that trend continues with this episode, which is the first of a two-part edition on Walt Disney World music. But this is no ordinary list of Walt Disney World tunes. No, this is very specific in terms of thinking about pieces of music, whether they be songs or scores that evoke particular emotions. So joining me is Matt Parrish from Woodway Radio and the 3028 podcast, and there's a number of categories that we're going to look into, and we had so much to discuss that we could not contain it in one episode, so you're going to hear the first several categories on this episode, and then the latter half on next week's episode. So let's dive right into it. Here on Notably Disney, we love to pay homage to the music that touches our lives and elicits particular sensations in a variety of ways. And one place that beckons a roller coaster of emotions as it pertains to music is Walt Disney World, home to memorable melodies and scores for nearly 50 years. And one Disney podcaster who I know could very well speak to Walt Disney World and its music is none other than Matt Parrish, co-host of two favorite podcasts of mine and recognized in the Disney community for their richness, attention to detail, and high quality. Matt is co-host of both the longtime Ledway Radio, focused on the Disney theme parks and much more, and also the 3028, centered on Disney history and Disney listery. Matt, welcome to Notably Disney. Hey, thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here, and uh, I appreciate the invite. Well, I thought, you know what, we're covering Disney World music. You would be great to bring on for this. So glad to have you on. And we're going to be covering a lot of different things today. In particular, uh, how Disney World music evokes emotions or feelings. And we're going to be looking at about 10 categories. 
and we're going to alternate uh, kind of back and forth based on what we think is the piece of music, whether it's a song or score, that evokes the particular feeling. So I was thinking at first, you know, maybe we could do like a top 10 list or something like that. But, you know, it's difficult with music. And maybe you experience this, too, when you have things that are apples and oranges. Well, yeah, you can't. I mean, it's hard to qualify or even quantify music, right? I mean, they it, music, especially Disney theme parks music, touches you in so many different ways. Um, it's hard to even talk about your favorite, right? Because like in each land, you may have a favorite or you may not, not have a favorite. They may just all kind of be the same and you love them all. I mean, that's a list is hard, but just talking about the songs, I think, is fun because then you get to re-experience that emotion as you kind of think about, you know, when you've listened to it in the theme parks or when you've listened to it at home thinking about the theme parks. Yeah, absolutely. I think that captures it perfectly. And when I was trying to think of the notion of Disney World music and uh, kind of an, uh, another way of describing them, I'm thinking, okay, you know what? Emotions, because when we go to the parks, when we're walking around or on a ride or in a queue, we're often feeling something strong. And there are a wide variety of emotions. I could theme this around inside out, but I, I wouldn't. And so, But I did come up with a, a list of 10 different feelings or emotions that are common in a variety of ways and how they manifest in, in the theme parks as we listen to music. So from humor to awe and everything in between, uh, we're going to talk about this. And fun for us and maybe fun for listeners too, we have not shared one another's selections. So I, I imagine that this is going to be surprising and, and fun in its own right. Yeah, I think that's really good. I mean, you know, the the only thing that, you know, could possibly hang us up is if we both really enjoy the same kind of song. But, you know, in, in that case... Well, then we just get to talk about it more. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, it's very possible that something that I note as uh, the most haunting piece of music is actually uh, most nostalgic for you. So there could be some unique placement across uh, different categories as well. Absolutely. And I liked how you've broken this down into emotions um, because there is a little bit of, you know, each emotion that you get to experience. And sometimes what's interesting about these, you know, Disney parks music is that you go through a range of emotions or memories. And sometimes these, you know, songs might change where they would fall in your, in your, in your list or on your, in your categories. Yeah, absolutely. So how about we jump right into it? We have, uh, like I said, 10 different ones to focus on and first category is funniest piece of music. So when we think of funniest things relating to causing amusement or laughter, what, what, what did you note as the funniest piece of music at Walt Disney World, Matt? Typically, the older songs or songs that were developed in a, you know, in a mid-century type era for me are the funniest because there was a lot of um, vaudeville influence and these kinds of things. Uh, that went into the song. So I kind of struggled with, am I going to go with something like the Tiki Room where I know it's designed to be funny or something like Country Bears. So I went with the Country Bears because you have a variety of different songs um, and you have a you have a number of songs, uh, whereas in some of these cases I picked one song. I think any of the songs in the Country Bear show uh, could be listed as funny because it's just a bunch of bears being nutty on stage and like, you know, um, acting out their sort of human roles, things that you would have found on TV or at a stage show long ago where they're trying to make you laugh. And, uh, you know, taxidermied animals talking on the wall. I think that's always fun. 
it's one of those clever attractions where the the writing is just so witty and sharp and kind of almost timeless yeah and it comes from an again an era where where guys were writing songs specific to attractions and so i think today sometimes we get some crossover where we have an attraction and there's a song out there or there's a composer out there who develops a particular sound and then that's sort of placed into the attraction or or, or whatever but back in the day i mean they wanted to write songs that bears could sing to guests as they walked in so if that's blood on the saddle with big al or you know any number of those hoedown songs from the vacation hoedown era or anything i think those those typically end up being the funniest or funnest for me. They're supposed to be, you know, foot stompers and 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 hand clapper songs. Well, yeah, I think that's a, a really apt way of describing it. And, you know, Country Bears, it's been around for decades. And even though there are times where people wonder, will, will it still be around? Will it still be relevant? It's it's still it remains one of those Disney signature attractions for those original characters and the classic music. Yeah, I think it's I mean, it's only sad that, you know, it's only been pared down over time and audiences change and that kind of thing happens. But we've seen those characters not just at at Country Bears in the theme park, but we've seen, you know, Melvin the Moose at uh, I believe it was Melvin was over at uh, Fort Wilderness at Pioneer Hall for a while. So um, it's sort of, you know, that that attraction and those songs sort of transcend uh, that particular attraction, the Country Bear jamboree because it's it's sort of speaks to a larger era when westerns were popular and uh sometimes you had you know uh fun cowboy sing-alongs and all that stuff absolutely is there a particular line or lyric that you find to be especially humorous (laughs) i mean (laughs) that's a that's a great question um I i do think the big owl part is the funniest because he is this sort of um I don't know, unruly type character. You know, you've got your host uh, and you've got your darling who sings and uh, like a Billy Bob type character. And then Big Al is just this big overweight bear who comes in and sings a song that's not anything like the rest of the songs. Oh, I I could definitely see that. He's uh, I I think he's just a, a fantastic character and I love the walk around version as well. <laughs> yeah, you rarely see those, but they're really good. That's that's great. Well, I I also went with an animal themed attraction for my funniest, but we're actually going to be traveling over to Animal Kingdom, and I selected "It's Tough to Be a Bug," and I, I picked this in particular. I was thinking, I love the song at the end of it, which is very brief, but but really funny, but also because of the cleverness of the instrumental music in the queue which is basically bug versions of musicals which on it in its simple descriptions just seems ridiculous but it's actually executed brilliantly i love those okay so we have those at home even on cd uh so when we're driving around the car sometimes we hear those bugs uh singing or chirping to uh, uh beauty and the beast you know like tale as old as time but it's like it sounds like bugs are making the you know the sound like an orchestra yeah, and then you have, in addition, one from A Chorus Line and Tomorrow from Annie. It's a really odd assortment, but uh, really unique. Yeah, I think it's, um, and you know, going into the attraction, like you said, the actual songs that the bugs sing, 
it's not just that they're fun and funny. You also learn about bugs when you hear them too. So it's like, oh, you're learning and it's fun. It's almost a very Epcot-y way of doing a music in an attraction. And, you know, to really uh, validate and further validate the point that you just made about learning stuff in the end credits song with uh, that was just masterfully composed by George uh, George Wilkins and lyrics by Kevin Rafferty, the Imagineer. They basically say if all bugs were wiped off the face of the planet, there'd be no one, no humans around here to man it. That's just so sharp. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, what's the other one? Um, uh, if it wasn't for the fact that we like the taste, you'd be out there wallowing in shoulder-high waist. Did you actually remember that from memory? Because I have that written down. I couldn't remember that so precisely. <laughs> yeah, because you learn. It's like, oh, yeah, bugs have this interesting function where we sort of take them for granted. We always talk about like, oh, you know, if the bomb goes off, you know, the bugs are still going to be here. Well, yeah, they're still going to be here because they survive on things that we, you know, discard, whether it's waste or trash or whatever. Uh, there's there's just an abundance of things that that bugs are going to be able to eat or survive on that we could never. That, that is very true. See, folks, you listen. You've learned something new tonight on Notably Disney. <laughs> it's so, so good. I love it's very smart. It's like I said, it's a smartly, you know, smartly done. Um, and, uh, you know, everything's so precise. It's not overly wordy or rhymy. Um, it does have those things, but like the lyrics are strong enough there that you pay attention to what they're saying. Exactly. And it's, and the song at the end is so brief that it has an just immediately catchy feeling that, and you end up humming it afterward and realizing, wow, this is actually really funny. So I, I love it for that reason and more. And if we're to continue with our categories, and maybe this is a perfect segue, and I wasn't anticipating it too, you're talking about, okay, if there are no if there are no longer any humans here on the planet, the next category is scariest or most haunting. Because <laughs> I would say it'd be very scary if there are no longer any humans here. So the notion for scariest or most haunting, uh, I looked up the definition of, of haunting, and it said, remaining in the consciousness, not quickly forgotten. So I know, let's just, I should just add some chilling music in the background, and I will. So so my pick for this was the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. However, it was, I did not select the actual attraction score, but rather the cue music, which I absolutely love. It's basically mostly instrumental versions of classic songs, often from the 20s and 30s, some jazz pieces, uh, a number of them by Johnny Hodges and his orchestra, uh, Sidney Bechet and others. It's just evoking a sense of, like I said, it's very chilling. It's It puts you in a certain mood of, wow, this is, it's a, a dark and atmospheric place that, you know, you, maybe you're thinking about things from the past that are a little bit chilling or concerning and the the vibe of the atmosphere physically aesthetically certainly reinforces that and then you have the the audio that really pushes the point of that you're entering a, a really doom-like place i think this is a really strong choice i think that's an excellent choice as a matter of fact i thought of that uh, and my pick is very similar you're gonna see um, you know, a lot of people, when they would think of haunting, they might think of, you know, immediately of something like grim grinning ghosts or something like that. But those are those are kind of fun in a way. But the Hollywood Tower Hotel 
And Sunset Boulevard evokes a sense of time, a sense of setting, a sense of place. Um, you're learning about the 20s and 30s. The actual attraction takes you back to what the world may have looked like at that time. And then the music sort of brings that out of the of the foyer or of the of the gardens. I mean, so you hear that as you're walking through. Things are dead. The um, you know, the fountain has no water in it. It's kind of decrepit. Um, it's almost like it's not post-apocalyptic. It's just it's a forgotten place. And so that's what you're getting there is like a forgotten era. And I really love that choice. That's very good. And you're going to see why mine's so similar here in a second. Yeah, well, and I, I, I like the language that you use there, forgotten, because you, you can tell it's a, it's a place that you're entering that has not been maintained very well. It's, it's essentially falling apart, and this music just kind of quietly uh, pervading the atmosphere. It's, it's so enrapturing and just absolutely fascinating. Fascinating. So I I listen to it a lot in the like as for instance like when I'm studying or whatever I I when I just want to chill out a little bit and kind of put myself in a certain place of contemplation that that sets the tone really nicely. Yeah, and I think if you watch you know some scary films um, like from the '70s even or late '60s '70s films like um, Amityville or the one that I'm thinking specifically of that really reminds me of the Tower of Terror is The Shining because you're in a place where oh, no one else yeah no one else is where some horrific thing happened and you're not necessarily experiencing that horrific thing like you do on the ride eventually you do but you're seeing what happens to a place where something like that would have happened and how it's sort of like you said fallen apart and it's sort of forgotten. I mean, we see these kinds of places today, like in real life. That's what's so haunting about it is, you know, there's a place in Kansas City where there was this tragic thing that happened in this hotel. Um, and today that hotel exists. But when you walk through there, you kind of feel the haunting nature of it, which is very weird. And so that attraction definitely evokes that for you. And it, that's why I feel like that's really the queue area is the is the scariest part of that attraction to me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then you have the boiler room, which is also really evocative. Right. But yeah. And, and, you know, as you're talking about, I was thinking about like places that are falling apart. You know, Disney wants to up and hopefully they don't update Tower of Terror in the sense, but like abandoned shopping malls. Right. Those are very scary. (laughs) They are. It's something about the abandoned. There was a show on TV a couple of years ago called Abandoned, basically, where they went through these shopping malls or even like, seriously, this is weird, like old car manufacturing plants where nothing happens anymore but like you still see the structure and the framework and that stuff still there and the only thing that's different about you know twilight zone tower of terror is that you have the music to go along with it but you still feel that even if the music wasn't on you could kind of still feel it but the music certainly adds to the tone or the mood absolutely really good examples there so how about for you what did you identify as scariest or most haunting it's the same, but instead of being in the queue, now you're walking down Sunset Boulevard. And I know it's some of it's kind of cheery, but you feel like you're in a different era. And as you see the weenie, as you see Hollywood Tower Hotel in the distance, sort of ominously looking at you, kind of like that, again, that Overlook Hotel from The Shining, you see it up on the hill and you hear, this is a specific song that you can hear on Sunset Boulevard. It is We'll Meet Again, and it's sung by Vera Lynn. 
and it's a fantastic song. It's used in in lots of ways, um, you know, and has been throughout history. But at this point, it's about 80 years old. And there's something haunting about saying we'll meet again, too, because you're thinking of ghosts and someone going away. And will you meet them in the afterlife or something? You don't know. Um, so it's, it's sometimes it's used in a, in a uh, nostalgic way, but sometimes in a haunting way. That, that's a really interesting choice. And yeah, I think certain songs, just by virtue of what the topic is, can produce that feeling. But certainly the, the tone, uh, the, the sound of it certainly accentuates the point. Yeah, I mean, if you, you know, that song was used as Stephen Colbert, you know, wrote off his show on Comedy Central, the Colbert Report. But if you hear Vera Lynn sing it, it's um, it's very it sounds scary. It sounds like she was trying to get you to think of like, you know, the netherworlds or whatever. I mean, you could use that in any kind of haunting picture um, as it, you know, as the credits close and, you know, you would get that same feeling. But you definitely get it as you're looking at the. Hollywood Tower Hotel and walking down Sunset Boulevard, maybe in the in the uh, in the hours of dawn or dusk. Oh, yeah, I could definitely see that. And you mentioned the notion of like an end credit song or something that kind of will stay with you in that way. There was a, a great remake of Murder on the Orient Express a few years ago. I'm not sure if you saw it, but it had a really great end credit song that was that feels like it could have been placed in sunset boulevard uh t- tower of terror area it was sung by michelle pfeiffer and it had that same feel of that it was just absolutely haunting and um breathtaking in that same sense yeah yeah and if you've ever seen the film sunset boulevard and i invite you to because it's one of the greatest films ever made william holden um is killed and you find that out from the very beginning of the picture but then you go through this haunting tale where he's been kept in this silent film star's house for months on end and she basically won't let him escape. So the idea of Sunset Boulevard and the fact that they put the Hollywood Tower Hotel there sort of plays into that sort of history of Sunset Boulevard too in in a lot of different aspects. So anything from that area I kind of find haunting in a way. The only thing that doesn't seem to fit is the uh, rock and roller coaster. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, it's kind of tucked away. You kind of have to go find it. But as you're walking down Sunset Boulevard, you don't really... You don't really get that. So, uh, you know, you don't really see rock and roller coaster. So you get you get all the haunting pieces instead. Well, some may argue the the music of Aerosmith is haunting, but I agree <laughs> it is it is out of place. Um, in a it lot can't of ways. be. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Well, let's let's shift over to the next category, which is most triumphant. So the definition of triumphant being exultant or feeling or expressing jubilation. Uh, that's dictionary.com's definition, not mine, but I think it's very apt. Uh, what what comes to mind to you, Matt, when so, when you hear that term? So originally, when we when we were writing notes for the show, and and I didn't know if we were using older songs or newer songs, I picked the score from Ellen's Energy Adventure. And if you're listening to the show, you've probably experienced that attraction. It has this very Jurassic Park, John Williams feel, and it feels very triumphant, like you've accomplished something and that's kind of what Jurassic Park you know that's the irony of that movie is they've accomplished this thing and it turns around and tries to kill them like Frankenstein's monster uh but instead since we went with more contemporary things this isn't as uh, you know science fictiony in fact it's it's a little more glorious as you experience it and I picked Soren over the world score uh because I feel like as you're encountering these different places on earth 
And we know that man can ascend to basically anywhere on the globe now. It feels kind of triumphant as you're getting to each of these, you know, seven wonders or, you know, gliding over the ocean. All of that feels like a triumph. Oh, absolutely. And it's it's one of those scores where it's constantly used in unique and inventive ways with every scene, but it's still holding that main theme, which I think is very cool and absolutely triumphant is a great way of describing it yeah it reprises itself you know sort of throughout the uh throughout the attraction the same thing was true of uh of uh soaring over california um because they use monuments and all of these different things that were uh constructed by man or constructed by nature and you know that that same thing you kind of get that same you know triumphant feeling no matter which version of the attraction you go on yeah it's see that's one of my absolute favorite scores of all time because it it is so rousing it it's it's one of those attractions where you might find yourself at the end starting to shed a tear because it is so moving and powerful not just the visuals but the music being so strong and emphatic yes yes and that's i think the composer of the current version is bruce broughton yes, um, yes. And, yeah but the original is Jerry Goldsmith. And the reason why I put it as triumphant is because Jerry Goldsmith also wrote the score for the film Rudy. And that is a very triumphant film. And you feel the feelings. I mean, you get goosebumps when you watch that movie. And that same kind of sound finds its way into Soren. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, and Jerry Goldsmith is, you know, one of the all-time great film composers. And yes, he's he's done some work for Disney, Mulan probably being his most prominent piece of work for the company and uh, to con- basically to conclude his career, uh, more or less, he, he died shortly thereafter, uh, Soren over California, to conclude his career with a Soren is just absolutely amazing. Yes, I would agree. And it just kind of lives on. I mean, it's just, it's excellent. I I totally love that choice. And um, I did not put Soren, although I was actually very inclined. It, it will come about in another category uh, as, a, as a preview. I went with Fantasmic, um, and in particular the exit music at the yes. end. But um, this is by Bruce Healy, and I feel like this is, in a lot of soundtracks, if you purchase from the parks, it's usually just maybe a three-minute snippet, but it it's, it's a so rousing and you feel like oh my gosh every mickey is victorious and and we're kind of victorious we've experienced this vicariously and we feel like we're invincible and the music with its upbeat tone and really full orchestra sound it it feels like it very well could come from a a major hollywood motion picture absolutely it's a it's like a 30 minute song almost um, and, and moments of it have this sort of crescendo and, you know, then it sort of settles back down. And because, you know, Mickey's doing this, a number of different things on stage or, you know, things are happening in the water. I love this. Actually, for a number of years, Bruce Healy's music there closed out Wedway Radio. So that was just like our, our moment at the end of the show um, because that music was so powerful and it still is. It's just it's amazing. That's a great choice, by the way. I didn't even think of that, but it's very good. Well, obviously, we know that it 
it had an impact in, in your life since it did close what the way radio so <laughs> i think you know what you want to you want to end every episode with a bang and a great piece of music can capture that point so i i, I understand and appreciate uh, your use of it i extended that uh when we started the 3028 podcast with uh a, the finale it comes from spectro magic which also has those sort of moments in it and i was like how can i do this without doing exactly what I did on Wedway Radio, and that's that's how we did it. So basically, the, the trend is if you create a third podcast, Matt, you're going to have to end with music from the Main Street Electrical Parade. Yes, I will. Um, and uh, I'll have to... I mean, that's, that's really great stuff, too. So, yeah, any number of these are excellent on podcasts just as a finale. But, you know, it's supposed to be that sort of kiss goodnight, that finale for your night. I mean, the same way that Illuminations Reflections of Earth had those moments or continues to have those moments and has for 20 years phantasmic has always done that and does it you know does it really well it it it's like you said it's evocative it makes you feel those feelings and and that's what any great piece of music does so yeah i think we i think we both have very strong choices with uh, about soaring over the world and uh, phantasmic too so uh, shifting gears to our next category most nostalgic and the idea behind this category is a a piece of music that is sentimental or wistful. So where you're thinking about the past in a very contemplative manner, and this could go in a a number of directions depending on how you interpret it. And in my case, it's actually a a song that you made referenced earlier. So my pick is actually Grim Grinning Ghosts. And the reason why I selected this is this is a song. It's been around for some 50 years because we know Haunted Mansion celebrates its 50th this yes. year. And the song was uh, composed by Buddy Baker and lyrics by Exitensio. And this is a piece of music that I say is nostalgic because probably my earliest memory of it was not necessarily in the attraction itself, oh. but rather it came about through the Disneyland fun sing-along songs um, where I first heard the song. Mind you, set in Disneyland, but of course we know the song from, from multiple uh, iterations of the Haunted Mansion across the different theme parks. And that was such a lasting memory of it was a very it was a very creepy uh, sequence with some of the Disney villains walking around the grounds of the Haunted Mansion. You'd have like the big bad wolf and I think Maleficent was in there. It was it was very chilling, but you heard the classic tune and with the the really just entrancing visuals complemented by the music, which is just extremely witty and haunting, of course, it stuck with me. And for that reason alone, it, it's a very nostalgic pick. And then when I finally visited Walt Disney World uh, a few years later, I, I certainly remembered it in that context, and I had been in the Disneyland version. So uh, for me, Grim Grinning Ghosts is one that I think of very uh, sentimentally. Yeah, I, 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 there's a lot of great choices for this. This one's obviously in the top, very top tier, uh, considering its age and legacy and all that stuff and the people who are involved in it, Buddy Baker's work. Um, it's got, you know, uh, the title comes from Shakespeare who, you know, is sort of haunting in his own right. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of great nostalgia here uh, when it comes to Grim Grinning Ghost. And this is an attraction that, you know, has found itself, different iterations of it uh, throughout Disneyland-style parks 
uh, throughout the world. But, you know, the, the ver- two versions that we get here in the States have this song. And um, so whether you grew up in the East Coast or West Coast or grew up with Disneyland Records, um, you probably had time to experience this. So what's what's cool and what I think is awesome about this choice, too, is that the nostalgia is not always from the theme park, right? This may be your own nostalgia about being young because you heard this song. I have that nostalgia when I hear um, Little April Showers uh, from uh, Bambi. Oh, sure. Yeah, because I had it on Disneyland Records when I was a kid. Not because I watched Bambi, because at that time we didn't even have VHS yet. So, uh, because I'm so old. But but those songs are, are nostalgic beyond the theme parks or beyond the films or just, you know, things you experience with your family or they could be from the theme parks. So that's, a, that's an awesome choice. I love it. So much cool history there. Yeah. Well, and it, it's, it's one of these attractions, one of these songs that has really transcended generations now and our attachment to it, as, as you described it, it can be across so many different mediums. It's not just physically visiting the attraction. It's listening to it or, or seeing it in some unique context. So um, yeah, I love that you kind of emphasize that point. Yeah, and it's bigger than Disney, you know, that, and that's what's funny about some of these songs. And that's definitely true of one that I didn't pick but did consider of uh, A Pirate's Life for Me, the Yo-Ho-Ho song. I heard I was recently at the Chicago Museum of Science and Industry, um, and there's an area with the history of ships and shipping. And there's a little boat. It's like a model of a, actually, it's a ship. And you can get up there and steer and whatever. And this grown man was up there with his kids and he was singing Yo-Ho, Yo-Ho, Pirate's Life for me. And I thought, boy, how about that song is like way bigger than, you know, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Like people are just singing that walking through this museum. That's amazing. And you know what? I think anybody who visits Chicago has to check that place out. It is amazing. Absolutely amazing. So cool. It's one of the remaining buildings, by the way, from the uh, Columbian Exposition, the uh, 1893 World's Fair. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So nostalgia, nostalgia. It's all there. You can experience Chicago history there. But great choice. Um, I would extend that just by giving you my choice, which is not necessarily nostalgic for me, like as a kid. It's not like, hey, I think about this song and I'm reminded of being, you know, nine years old on this attraction. The song I chose is Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow. And when I first went on Carousel of Progress at Walt Disney World in the 80s, the theme song was Now is the Time, Now is the Best Time. And so I had always thought that was the original song. And then growing up, of course, you learn that Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow is a song that the Sherman Brothers wrote. It was specifically written for the Carousel of Progress and the Progress Land um, uh, Pavilion at the 64 World's Fair. And what's nostalgic for me about it is the fact that the Sherman Brothers and Walt Disney sat in those studios and they played that song together on piano. And now a kid growing up today gets to hear that song as they go on that attraction. Um, And it's one of the reasons, in my opinion, that that attraction uh, needs to remain because it is a such a strong piece of Disney history there right there in the theme park. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that is the perfect encapsulation of nostalgia because it's an attraction all about the evolution of really the uh, American household during the 20th century for the most part. And it's the, the music is so, so wistful and thoughtful. And I just, it's one that I, I think of so fondly for, for so many reasons. 
even the father on the attraction is nostalgic as he sort of goes through the eras, right? He's sort of thinking back, oh, yeah, and we did these things, and then he's kind of moving forward, and so it's kind of what we do, you know, and it's, you know, I'm, I'm raising a son who's going to be eight years old, and that's what I do with him. I'm talking about, oh, yeah, well, you know, it used to not be like this, but now it's kind of like this, and you're just talking about the world in, in general, and that's kind of what you get from that attraction. And then, you know, the broader picture is you have all this nostalgia, all this Disney history wrapped up in this, you know, circular uh, rotating attraction. Yeah, I could. I totally see that. And it's one where, you know, you you see the family change over time, even though they're all the same age, more or less. But, <laughs> right. but yet you yourself as the passenger, if you go over the course of many trips, you change and you're thinking about about how you kind of position yourself in alignment with the characters or even different periods of your own life. So it's, it's really uh, very reflective in that manner. Yes. Oh, what a great choice. What a great choice. That's going to actually appear on my list uh, somewhere down the line. But the next category is energizing. And the notion of energizing is something that's arousing and kind of makes you feel like pumped up and you're excited and exhilarated. What did you identify for energizing music? This was a challenge, too, because I thought about different attractions that were energetic or that uh, made you feel more, you know, uh, energy as you moved through them. And then I went away from that and thought, well, where's an area where I have the most energy where I'm at Walt Disney World? And in this case, I went with the same place, the same land that I think most of us feel most energetic, and that's Main Street. And you could have picked, or I could have picked, a number of different songs. I just went with Main Street Rag here, but you've got, you know, piano and that sort of turn of the century uh, feel as you're walking through. And most of the music is energetic, right? It's uh, a lot of it was dance music. Uh, from the 20s or from the teens um, and you you feel the energy when you're on Main Street everything's sort of kinetic people are moving through and that music is always in the background and so I'm picking Main Street Rag that's fantastic that's one of those pieces where you just feel like you want to dance and jump around because it's so joyful and, and positive too yeah, it is. That's what's weird. It's like it is positive. That's what it feels like you're thinking of you have like optimism I, I think that's a, a good word to describe it too. Do, are there are there part just kind of putting yourself on Main Street? Is there like a specific area of Main Street that you just <laughs> love sitting around or or like just sitting and appreciating the music? I think when you walk through, uh, you know, you walk through the tunnel, you know, beneath the railroad, and you come out on the other side, and the popcorn cart is there. If you're on the left, on the right, there's a, a, a T-shirt or merchant cart with drinks, and you see the town square, you see the firehouse. You know, th there's this familiarity there, but it's like it's not where you live. It's just a place that you know in your mind. And so I guess just anywhere in the town square is is where I feel the most comfortable, where I like to kind of people watch. Um, and it's also the place like, you know, when you go to Walt Disney World for the first time or you get to the Magic Kingdom with your family, I mean, you're feeling pumped about your day as you go through that tunnel and you see the horse drawn uh, trolley roll by or the, you know, any number of the Jitney or any of those Main Street vehicles, the Dapper Dans are rolling by. I mean, all of it just, you know, feels 
important and meaningful and also, you know, energetic uh, based on the category here. And I just, I don't know. I just love, I just love the whole feel of Main Street. People often forget that that's like a land, right? But it is, and it's meant to uh, evoke these feelings. Right. Well, and, you know, in many ways, if they ever wanted to move Carousel of Progress, move it to be an extension of Main Street because it very well could fit in there to illustrate uh, a time capsule of sorts. Yeah. Yeah. There's a number of rag songs that, and, you know, that, and you hear Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow, the original versions had ragtime and they had all kinds of different versions of that song. Um, that used to happen a lot with Disney attraction songs as they would produce them in the different styles or eras of music. They did that with the World of Motion song. Uh, and in the because that one sort of takes you through eras of time with motion, uh, and so you have so many eras of music in the 20th century because we've had radio play and people in being influenced by other people, um, and so yeah, it's just it's really cool. Uh, the other thing that you could add here too is that you have piano players on Main Street, and sometimes they're playing yeah. the music, yeah, and they're energetic, and so that's fun. Well, and a lot of guidebooks say if you're taking young children to Walt Disney World, you should not go to the Magic Kingdom. For- first because that's their kind of vision of what disney represents and then they go to the other parks and it doesn't live up to what magic kingdom embodies but by the same token the point you made it it is so energizing to walk down main street and be and that represent the essential start of your walt disney world experience so it's a almost a double-edged sword in that sense (laughs) it is i did i don't know how it couldn't be the sort of perfect way to begin or end a trip I mean, it's just, it's so wonderful. It's that, and that's what it was designed to be. I, I definitely see the value of putting that as most energizing. And I was thinking about atmosphere as well. I actually, the first thing that came to me was not selecting a particular attraction, but rather an environment. And uh, I opted to go to another place in the Magic Kingdom, and I selected the Tomorrowland background loop that is very much electronic and it's fun versions of some of the classic Tomorrowland-based attractions and uh, even films that have been uh, portrayed in the space, like uh, we hear a little bit of uh, Toy Story, I think, too. But it's it's a loop that I listen to all the time because it just it's uplifting. It makes me feel like I'm revved up for the day and I'm excited. And it's it's often just very clever with spinning songs or themes in new ways. So we hear a great big beautiful tomorrow in this right. loop in a, a really fun way. So that I would say just the the entire background loop that you hear around the land is is one that is extremely rousing and fun too. And Tomorrowland was always supposed to have energy, and it, it only became more kinetic over time when you include the uh, Astrojets or, uh, you know, uh, what's the current name of those? I always call them the Astrojets. Astro Orbiter. Astro Orbiter. Thank you. Astro Orbiter or the People Mover or the Tomorrowland Speedway. All of that, all of those things are tomorrow in motion. That's a very late 60s way of doing Tomorrowland. Uh, and then that sort of transferred over into the Walt Disney World version. Um, you're thinking about the fast-moving uh, Space Mountain and the movement of the carousel um, of progress. All that stuff together has has energy. That's a great choice. I also love how they've sort of spun those songs to make them to make them fit 
into that background track. Uh, I think it's Strange Things from Toy Story. Yes. That you hear. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for so, picking that out. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great song, by the way. Um, love that. Uh, what's uh, Newman? Not Thomas Newman. Randy. But, uh, Randy oh. Newman. Yeah. So good. That whole soundtrack's great. But the way when you hear it in Tomorrowland, it doesn't sound like Toy Story. It sounds like, you know, Tomorrowland. So <laughs> they've been able to do that. I don't know how they did it, but they, it works. And everything is full circle, Matt, because you know who produced the music for the movie Ragtime? Randy Newman. There you go, right? <laughs> and he is an excellent piano player. So, yeah, you he's, you know, all of that energy, you know, he's not very energetic, but all of his energy is sort of transferred into the piano. Well, and, and it, I thought you made a really f- cool point there with the the kinetic atmosphere of Tomorrowland being very fast and and moving and high speed and futuristic. And I, and that was kind of my impression of what represents energizing, whereas you selected Main Street, which also has a lot of movement with all the different vehicles and the horse-drawn street cars and all that, but it's set in the past. Right. And, yet, and it can still be energizing. It's energy from that era. <laughs> That's as fast as things moved. So I, I think there's, I don't know, I feel like there's something almost synergistic about this. It's complimentary, I should say. I agree. Totally agree. That's in, it's weird how that happened, but it, it did. So that's that's very neat. Well, and if it was still around, I would probably put Ellen's Energy Adventure on there, but that would be way too meta to say that that's an energizing piece of music, right? <laughs> it does pick you up, though. I mean, if yes. if picking yourself up is energy, I mean, I guess that's what it is. Well, that concludes part one of this two-part edition of Emotional Walt Disney World Music. Matt's going to be joining me again on the next episode as we explore some more categories, including some of the saddest music in Walt Disney World, as well as the most awe-inspiring. Also on that episode, you'll find Matt addressing the segment of Ask My Questions and Get Some Answers, and there are some really good gems in that conversation too. So definitely join me next week on Notably Disney for more emotional Walt Disney World music. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at Reports. That's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N Reports. And be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to NotablyDisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well as suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney. Notably Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company.